Hi, everyone. My name is Sumbul Siddiqui. And I'm Alana Mallon. And we are Cambridge's two new city councilors. What a week. What a weekend. Lots going on. So much going on. I feel like even I feel like we say that every week, though. I know. Each week is just <laughs> so busy. So we had the Affordable Housing Week rally uh, on Saturday. Uh, and there were like 10 people there. <laughs> no, just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> there were a lot more elected officials there than there yeah. were actual rally goers. Yeah, but you know, it, it was good. It was good. I think it was a nice annual thing to do. Uh, there was Congressman Mike Capuano, State Senator jo- Joe Boncor, uh, State Rep Decker. There was Mike Connolly, Jay Livingstone, uh, and our own Councilor Denise Simmons, who spoke. Mm-hmm. We also had people from ABC Cambridge and CRA Cambridge residents. Uh, Alliance and a Better Cambridge who came to talk about their organizations and their housing initiatives. So overall, I thought it went really well. Good music, um, good speeches. Good music, good speeches, like really inspiring speeches. Yeah. And I would have to say that, um, so a Better Cambridge and the Cambridge Residents Alliance pretty much have some like people that you think of as figureheads that kind of are the ones that you think of as like kind of leading the organization. And neither of those people actually were the ones that spoke. It were two different people from the organizations. It was actually really nice. They, they both had a lot in common actually. Yeah. They both were teachers. And um, so it was a really nice way to kind of bring the two housing advocacy groups together around this idea of affordable housing. And I hope we can keep bringing them together because I think we're stronger together. Stronger hashtag stronger <laughs> together. And we've got a lot to do this term so with affordable much. housing. And I think that's really, That was the goal um, of the rally was to really talk about how we have some real housing priorities and not all of them are going to be pretty. And we need kind of everybody to come together around some of those priorities to to really strengthen tenant um, protections protections and and, an affordable housing overlay. So lots to do. And um, it was a good really first step in the right direction and actually right after that we yeah we went to senate park yeah. which is my one of my favorite parks and it was a beautiful yeah. day yeah it was so nice there was uh you know your daughter jasper was <laughs> so cute getting her face done and running around getting dancing <laughs> lessons with the african drumming. african dance yeah, yeah, yeah she made yeah. a birdhouse um, yeah, so it was really great. And then the Cambridge police came and did um, a three-on-three basketball tournament. So cool. Which was so cool. And um, yeah, it was a great community event. There were a lot of people there. So I was really excited that um, CDD put that on to celebrate the 1,000th unit of inclusionary housing. Yeah, and I think there's even been more than 1,000 Yeah, so now it's like 1,100. But, you know, it's... saying the 1,100th. Yeah, it sounds better. Yeah, it yeah, sounds better yeah. to say it's out. But yeah, yeah, really, you know, shout out to the CDD staff who really came together and put that on we had some delicious cupcakes and so forth but yeah so that was our saturday and then you had a packed sunday i had a packed sunday there was so much going on the weather wasn't quite as good but um it was the first central flea um which i don't know if you remember but from last year they did one once a month and so it was you know various artisans and restaurants came together food trucks uh, and put on this kind of afternoon flea market but with food and all that stuff. So they did it once a month and it was so successful that they actually are going to do it every Sunday now. So it'll be awesome. Yes. 11 to five. And they moved it down to, um, university park, university park. That's right. So it was in a, it wasn't a parking lot on prospect street, which was fine, but it's so beautiful. Is it better? Yeah. It's like grassy and there's trees everywhere. And there's a beer garden, a, a lamplighter beer garden now, which is really great. Was it big or how, how'd they do that? Um, it was, 
there was probably like 10 or 15 tables, but they had like giant Jenga. They had oh, like wow. games you could play. And Lamplighter actually created a special beer just for the Central Flea. Amazing. I am not a day drinker, but there were a lot of people there. <laughs> you changed your mind. Yeah. No, I can't do that. Because then I had, then I went to Mayfair, which was in Harvard Square. So oh, the, yeah. And there was a ton of people there too. And there was, you know, they again had a lot of vendors, but there was also a sidewalk art work contest that people are so creative by the way shout out to people who can just draw on the sidewalk and have it look like something. skills because <laughs> um, that's not going to be me but people did these beautiful beautiful drawings and so um great job harvard square uh putting that on this weekend and then project bread had its walk for hunger so there was just so many things going on wow. in cambridge this sunday i came home at like i don't know like five o'clock and just face planted into my bed <laughs> <laughs> i didn't do much else I have no energy these days, and I, know, I just it's really hard. Yeah, I gotta have a blood clot, people. So oh. that's affected me, and so I'm just like I, I was living vicariously through your Facebook <laughs> updates. I was like, oh, but oh. in bed. <laughs> oh, there she is. <laughs> there is oh, there's Central Free. There's You're like, I'm gonna fast forward onto my new friend, the next Friends episode. Oh yeah, totally. no, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. Speaking of Friends episodes, yeah, Sunday was the. It's been 14 years since since the, the end of it. Since the end of it. Well, now I just feel really old. I sobbed in my bed for hours. <laughs> anyway, let's not bring up okay, May 6th on, because on. it's hard for me. So uh, also this week, we successfully finished our first budget hearings. Go us. Woo. Um, I found the process was really an interesting deep dive into every little nook and cranny of what Cambridge will spend $636 million on this year, which, by the way, when I think about it, it's really overwhelming. That we just were responsible crazy. for that. That's crazy. Um, but I really loved hearing the updates from department heads on what initiatives they'll be undertaking this year. And it was actually a great process. We've got the school budget tonight and then we're donezo. Done, done, done. Yep. We also had a city council meeting this past Monday, which was pretty short. Um, but you and I sponsored a joint policy order that was debated asking the city manager to explore having a business employee parking pass system in Inman Square for the small businesses there. So we had received a number of requests last week from our small businesses asking for this kind of parking consideration for their employees when we're discussing increasing the resident permit fee. And, you know, I think we both agree that we need to get creative about supporting our small businesses where we can. So, you know, we can't control rent or the fact that people shop online or at Amazon. But just like the free recycling program we just instituted or will be instituting soon, um, there are small ways that we can support our, our small businesses and help them thrive. Um, so, you know, we heard from these small business owners that a lot of times their employees are actually using the meters out front where their customers are supposed to park, you know, there's nowhere for them to park. So, you know, they're actually cannibalizing the, the only parking in the area for, for their businesses. And all of this really impacts the, the already fragile retail business economy. Yeah, it really does. And uh, one of the things we also heard Monday night was that, this will add cars to the road and increase the number of trips on our roads, which is something as a city we're really trying to decrease. But these employees are already driving to their place of business, and then they have to drive around every two hours to move their cars. So, you know, in our view, we don't think this is going to add cars to the roads. Uh, we actually think it'll remove the those every two-hour trips around our squares. And the important point is that we weren't asking for a citywide program, but rather to test a small pli- pilot, the keyword pilot in a specific, we, we, we really do, uh, in a specific area with a fixed end date and clear, measurable outcomes. So a pilot 
in Inman Square would make the most sense. Uh, and actually, in the most recent retail strategy report, Inman Square was the third lowest accessible retail region in Cambridge. And the report actually goes on to say it behooves us to recognize that transportation needs differ across the districts and that less multimodal districts may require tailored transportation strategies to accommodate the needs of businesses. And as a result, parking availability is absolutely critical to business success. Yeah, if you think about Inman Square, it's a big retail area and it doesn't have a T-stop. So that's what, you know, that's what they mean by it being one of the least accessible. Um, And, you know, as an Inman Square resident myself, it's just getting some momentum with the arts and crafts and maker concept, you know, with Albertine Press and with um, some of the other recent ones that were... were Gather here. Oh, gather here. That's the other one. I was, like, blanking totally. Um, but, you know, with the upcoming two-year construction project of the Inman Square redesign, that loss of parking during and after the project is over, we need to ensure that these businesses don't head over to Union Square and Somerville for more friendly business practices. So Somerville has a similar and very successful business business permit program, and they issue thousands of these permits each year. So in Somerville, on-street permits cost $150 and provide an additional revenue stream for their permit program. So we heard from you know, a couple of different business leaders, like the executive director of the East Cambridge Business Association and Cambridge Local First, that the lack of parking for employees is a significant challenge for doing business in the city. So, you know, we, the city council, as well as our residents, say all the time that we have to support our local businesses, and we need to be able to do those small things to be able to support that goal. I would have to say that, unfortunately, this was charter-written by um, the mayor to give us a little bit more time to discuss the order and how it can go in and um, and move forward uh, I was a little bit disappointed Monday night that we couldn't just move forward with a small pilot and um, and really look at collecting some data instead of just making emotional decisions. Yeah, no, I agree. I think there's so much of, you know, this concern. And we, we get it. You know, there's a lot of people who teachers have wanted parking, yeah. others. And we're not saying that we don't want that. Of I course actually was, not. I, I said that Monday night. Right. That I didn't even know that they had been told no. I was very, you and I were both very supportive of that, you know. Give the teachers some passes. Right. Use them during the day. So I think we really have to measure this. And so I think we really want to push this pilot forward. And, um, you know, so stay tuned. Stay, stay tuned. tuned. Yeah. So we, we also chaired our first Human Services Committee meeting last week about the thing that everyone asks us about, universal pre-K. Everyone asks us about this. And when the city council had our joint roundtable with the school committee on the budget a few months ago, the hot topic of the discussion was universal pre-K and where we are in the process that was started in 2015 with the creation of the early uh, early education task force. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the things that comes up for both of us is this question of when we say universal pre-K, what do we mean by that? Is it ensuring a high quality early education experience for low-income families? You know, are we trying to also encompass our steadily shrinking middle class families who can't afford the high cost of preschool on top of the high cost associated with housing here and other costs? Or are we really trying to ensure that every child in Cambridge, regardless of their socioeconomic status, receives a free, high quality pre-K experience? And I think 
that depends on every single person that you ask. And that's part of the problem. And that's always been the problem is that everyone has a different answer to that question. So in 2016, the early education task force came back with five goals. And so those goals were one, increase access to and affordability of early learning and care services Two, continuously improve program quality for birth through third grade programs and services. Three, build partnerships to promote strong family engagement and support. Four, coordinate with healthcare providers to ensure access to quality healthcare services. And lastly, develop an, develop an effective birth through third grade governance and leadership structure. So I think it's important to note that the stated goals of this task force, none of them is creating a universal model, which I think frustrated and continues to frustrate folks. But the birth to third grade partnership has been working steadily on these goals, and they reported out on some of their successes in years one and two, and then going forward into year three. So right away um, after the report came out, the Department of Human Services opened two more classrooms that hold about 35-ish students. And this year, this school year actually, started awarding full scholarships to low-income students to private preschools. So the number of scholarships this year was 23, and next year it'll be increased to 50 in the budget that we just passed. And yeah, there's also the the training and support for existing preschool programs who need to increase the level of quality in their programs. Um, so there's a lot of amazing things happening. Yeah, and I think it's it's great to hear all that's happened and the the investment the city has made in this critical area. But for residents who aren't really invested in early education as the way to close, you know, achievement gaps just just wasn't feeling like enough. So if you're four years old in this city depending on whether your birthday is before or after March 1st, you may get an extra year of pre-K in our schools for free. So essentially half of our kids get a pre-K year and half don't. So a lot of people have suggested making this year for all four-year-olds, um, but the schools are telling us they don't have the space. So because this is something that is still persisting after the task force findings, you know, all these years later, the city is actually doing an RFP right now to hire a consulting firm to look at the study of universal preschool program models and a projection on school-age children, which is going to be really important because we are growing so, so steadily, much, so yeah. much. And the RFP goes on to say, to con- conduct a study of the existing mixed delivery system of preschool programs serving three- and four-year-old children in Cambridge, and to provide an analysis of various models for expanding access to high-quality, affordable preschool f- for four-year-old children in Cambridge. So as part of the analysis, the consultant will also prepare population and other demographic estimates for school-age children, age 3 through 17, who will live in Cambridge over the next decade, and an analysis of the impact of projected public school enrollment growth on space needs for the Cambridge public schools. So they're putting that RFP out right now, which means that we are going to be hiring a consultant to do this work. I'm assuming it's going to take some amount of time, yeah, months, a year, a year to come back with that. But I think... You know, what they come back with, I hope, is something that we can really move forward with because, like I said, it's a question I get asked all the time. I'm sure you do, too, you know, particularly around the four-year-old programs. Oh, yeah. I mean, I think we've we've heard from a few people who have been also upset by the recent, you know, changes to the Department of Human Services policies. Um, We've, they've decided to honor the existing wait list for the next two years, so enrollment for September 2018 and September 2019 out of fairness to the families and children who are enrolled under the waitlist process. But for enrollment in September 2020, uh, they'll be moving to a lottery system. So starting in September 2019, they're going to accept applications from any interested family whose children would be el- eligible to start 
preschool in September 2020. So these are classrooms that the Department of Human Services have as preschools. So these are outside of our school system, even though most of them are located inside of school buildings. So I think for a long time, um, you know, I even knew, you know, your kid turns one. And even though they won't be in the preschool program for another two years, you got to put, you got to put kids on the wait list because otherwise you'd never get in. So there was, there were a lot of families who were in the know and getting their kids on the wait list. And uh, it wasn't really targeting some of the families that the Department of Human Services really um, would like to target in terms of low income um, uh, English language learners. So a lot of the vulnerable populations. And yeah, so we got some data on that and, you know, there is a big discrepancy between who um, is, you know, applying for these programs and who's on the wait list. It's families whose income is over $100,000 and so forth. But all this to say, <coughs> Ooh, bless this, you. first time I sneeze online. <laughs> Sorry about now that, everyone. Now you guys know we don't edit this at all. We don't edit this. <laughs> but, uh, you know, all that to say, like, you know, as a middle income family middle more moderate income it is very expensive um to afford child care so it absolutely it's, is. even it, though you know yes the department of human services wants to target low income. you know low-income families we have to think create you know more widely about how to help all families and i think ellen Semenoff said in that meeting and correct me if i'm wrong that there's there's a target of like 50 percent who are low income 50 percent of the students yeah. are low income and 50 percent aren't so they, they do want to mix yes it was just that most of the wait list is is not yeah is not yeah. low income so that's going to be a pretty tough change that i think um is going to hurt for a little bit mm-hmm. and one of the things we talked about in our committee meeting was is there a way to open more classrooms for 2020 so that it isn't so painful um, on that first year where there's a lottery? So, um, and then I'm also hoping, let's see how this uh, request for proposal goes, right? Like, sure. I mean, it's, this is, you know, we're thinking 2020 is, I mean, it's two years away, but it'll be honest. Like, you know, if, if you're looking 2020, two, 2023, can there be something universal? That would be my hope. Yeah, I mean, if you look at population data, yeah. um, we're going to get a lot more people here in Cambridge, and with a lot more people come a lot more kids, and then our schools yeah. are kind of stressed. And one of the things I said in the committee meeting was, you know, we've, we've been thinking about this of adding more four-year-olds into our existing buildings. Maybe we have a four-year-old program right. in a building that doesn't have to do with one of our school buildings. Exactly. So hopefully this RFP and this consultant will kind of really think creatively and looking at other models um, because you and I have even seen the ones in New York City. Right. It's amazing. They're just kind of everywhere. Everywhere. You know, they're in churches. They're in storefronts. They're yeah. they're everywhere. So um, we will definitely keep you posted on that. We've been talking about that for a long time. A long time. So okay, let's move on to everybody's favorite. This is favorite my favorite topic. To talk about is bike lanes. Um, so just I wanted to give everybody a quick, a quick update on something that I put in a few months ago, which was to develop a working group to review the Cambridge Street bike lane design and make some tweaks and changes that would make them safer and more effective for everyone. Remember this? Super controversial. So controversial. So many emails. So many people came. So many. That was my birthday weekend. We got all these emails. (laughs) Never forget. I'm still sorry. I'm still sorry. That's when your whole life started to go downhill. (laughs) Yeah. It was that weekend with the emails. Then you fell. Blood clot. What's next? I don't know. Friends not being on the air. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So anyways, it looks like 
even though it looks like nothing's happened in the intervening months, I've actually been really busy behind the scenes developing the best process that's going to be seen as fair and neutral. So we're given an update on Monday that I'm excited to share with all 12 of you. (laughs) Um, We've gotten so many questions um, from all sides of the issue. So I just wanted to make sure everyone knows what's up. So the goal of this new working group is to provide a space to review recent bike safety projects, including Cambridge Street and Brattle Street and sections of Mass Ave. So the review is about the design of and not the existence of the lanes. So the lanes are staying. It's just about are there tweaks that we can make. So the group will give input on how to improve also community process when moving forward with future bike lane pro- projects. Because I think that we've seen that we have a little, yeah. a little learning and um, growing t- in this area. So here is the most exp- exciting part. Um, lots of people have expressed interest in ending the us versus them rhetoric that bike lanes have kind of caused in the past. So to help make progress on this, a third party facilitator called the Consensus Building Institute will be helping to guide this conversation. So um, CBI actually does this for a living. So they take kind of contentious issues and, um, come in and try to create a really neutral process. So, but the first steps are that the consensus building Institute is going to identify key stakeholder groups and conduct about 30 to 40 interviews with a representative sample of the stakeholder group. And then based on these interviews, CBI will make recommendations to the city manager. Um, about appointments to the working group. And so after it's formed, CBI will use their neutral viewpoint to lead a constructive, productive conversation. Once the group is formed, I expect their study and feedback process to last about 12 to 18 months, which is something I think has been causing a little bit of consternation among both the bike advocates and the folks who are interested in a redesign, uh, that that process is too long. We're hoping that, you know, it won't take that long, but I think it's really important to have a good process versus Definitely. a quick one. But I just want to thank everyone for their active engagement on this issue and also your patience as we come together and ensure that this process is done right. Believe me that I've been super frustrated too at how long this has taken to come together. But I think in the end, it's better to have a good process than a quick one, like I just said. Um, I think it's also important to really drive home at this point that the city manager has stated pretty clearly that the existing separated bike lanes aren't going anywhere but we're interested in ensuring that the design is as safe as it can be for all modes of mobility and that we can make tweaks that will help us get to that goal. Uh, Additionally, that this will not slow down the discussions of where else in the city we're planning to place more bike infrastructure, but this will help inform us how to move forward with a good community process to help ease the stress of these new bike lanes. It's, this has been a really tough one. And I know just talking with um, Joe Barr, who's in traffic and parking, like this is, this has been a tough one. Mm-hmm. And, um, I think we're all eager to try to calm this down a little bit. Cause the, we do need bike lanes. We need, yeah. and we need our cyclists to be safe. We need our pedestrians to be safe. Um, so that's the update there. I, um, as I said, if, if anybody wants any more information on that, please feel free to email me. I'm a M a L L O N at Cambridge MA.gov. Um, I'd be happy to hear from you. Yeah, it's great that you're working on this. I mean, it's very, it's hard stuff, so. I know, and I think that, we've talked about this before, but, you know, I think lots of people think we put in policy orders and then we wait for the manager to come back. And really what happens is we're working with the manager, we're working with the groups um, in the different city departments. We had a great meeting today. Right, About a policy order that we put in a few weeks, a few months ago about an intergenerational um, house sharing idea 
called Nest Relief. So we finally today got everybody to come together around the table to kind of talk about how a partnership, what that would look like, how we could move forward. It was a great meeting. Yeah, there's certainly questions, but I think, you know, that's how we move work forward. We have to keep talking about the issue and then figuring out a plan. Figuring out a plan. And, you know, things sit on that awaiting reports list. And they could wait forever if you weren't proactive and kind of... You have to be proactive, And making sure people come around the table and talk about the issue that you've brought forward. You know, something, just because something passes on a Monday night doesn't mean that anything ever happens to it. It's being very, very consistently on top of the things that you've put forward. Exactly. And then, you know, we we do have some uh, exciting stuff happening next week. We'll have a housing committee meeting on tuesday at five so please join if you can uh and then we're going to be talking about some cool stuff yeah we'll be talking about tenant protections and a lot of good stuff uh a lot of stuff that uh we've all been we've both been working on so yeah and i i that's the part of the housing that i feel most excited about working on is really protecting our tenants and keeping them in place i mean it's we could we could create tons of new housing, but if we can keep people where they are and and be creative about making sure that people who have Section 8 vouchers are actually able to rent exactly. apartments that are available or, you know, any number of these tenant stabilization things that we could do just to keep people in their places and um, prevent future displacement. I, I'm excited about working on that. So yeah. I'm looking forward to that meeting and I hope you guys all come. Please, please. Yeah. And feel free to reach out to us. We'll be back next week. We will be back next week. Um, thanks for tuning in and I hope you all have a great, great week. Yeah. Great weekend too. Great weekend too. I hope I have to do less things. Oh, I can't wait till Friday. <laughs> <laughs> all, right, all right. Bye everybody. Bye.